Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter uh, 5, you wish, (laughs) chapter 5, we'll take verses 19 through 21 in our reading. We'll begin in verse 12 in our study. But before I begin, I hope you know the, uh, the last two songs particularly. I hope you are able to connect the scripture that uh, belongs to those two songs. Uh, The first one is Isaiah 6, Holy, 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 I Want to See You. Isaiah there in the throne room of God and his vision of the Lord on the throne. And then, of course, Psalm 51, David after Nathaniel, uh, Nathan the prophet, called him out on his sin, and he wrote the 51st Psalm. So, uh, just very powerful. Anyway... Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's word, Romans chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. It's difficult to find where to start off in this section because the conjunctives are all over the place. Every verse starts with a a preposition or conjunction. Anyway, uh, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please be seated. This is uh, just written by a man so full of the Spirit. He's primarily addressing the Jewish believers Uh, But it applies to us all. I find this section, verses 12 through 21, a a little bit of a difficult read. Yet, there's so much here uh, as we begin to open it. The message is entitled, Adam's World. And it is basic Christianity for us, uh, which is always helpful. Keeping us, uh, our skills sharp, so that we can share the faith with those who don't have the faith. And he has already been dealing with the outgrowth of sin and how it harms and separates from God. And now he deals with the root of sin. Where does all this come from? It goes back to original sin. And of course, he's going to bring up Adam. Uh, Genesis 3 is the only way you can explain this life in this world. Where else do you, I mean, how do, well, you know, it just, there's where the explanations are. And the great truth of verses 12 through 21 is Christ coming on behalf of men or mankind. Uh, So we look now at verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, And thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, uh, if you've been around Christianity for a while, that's a very easy section to to understand. Uh, That therefore links, of course, what he is saying now with everything that he has been saying. Uh, No chapter and verse divisions in the letter originally. Uh, That was something that was added by men. It was a good thing that they put it in there because... We need coordinates to reference, to go back. The Bible is also a reference material. Uh, But Adam, he brought death. 
into creation and the defective life that goes along with it. But Christ, by his death, brought eternal life. So the contrasts are going to be throughout this remainder of this chapter. Adam represents the ruin of humanity in contrast to Jesus, the redeemer of humanity. And you don't have to reach very far. The alliterations are all over the place, like uh, the ruin versus the redeeming. They're, they're there. You don't even have to stretch to much to find them. In Adam, all men are sinners. In Christ, in Christ, all men are saved. The differences that the world is unmindful of. And hopefully we get to share some of these things. Adam turned men into sinners. Christ turns them into saints. When Adam sinned, he fled from God. God reached out for Adam. He searched for Adam. Adam, where are you? Is what we're told in Genesis 3. Jesus comes and said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. I'm still doing what I was doing in Eden. Because that's still what is necessary. We are in Adam's world. And there's work to be done. And that work has to do with reaching the lost and being strong as believers. And many, many uh, heartwarming internet videos are there, easy to find on the internet, of humans rescuing animals, even at risk of their own lives. But who cares about Jesus dying for people? Who finds that heartwarming? Well, the righteous do. The spirit-filled do. That's why when we sing, you know, sometimes the spirit begins to move. We lift our arms up. We love the Lord so much. If you've not ever been filled with the Spirit, if you've never had that burst from on high, come up after the end of service to the pastors and say, pray that I would receive the Spirit, that there would be more to my Christianity than an education, than an intellectual grasp, but that I may love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and sometimes may it pour out in a very visible way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I'm now one of the saved ones. Death through sin, he says here in verse 12. Well, mythological theories have always been around, created by men, such as today, the evolution of the species. It's a mythology, and science knows that, but doesn't want to admit that. They'd rather, they'd rather cling to unscientific information than give Christ the satisfaction of admitting that there is a creator, especially that he is him. Anyway, there could be no dying of creatures apart from original sin. And this is the problem if you have a Christian that says, well, I also believe in the evolution of the species. Well, wait a minute. The evolution of the species involves death. Death comes only through Adam. There in the garden, natural death did not exist until the fall of man, which led to the fall of creation, and all creation groans and suffers because of this. Men do not die because they commit sin. They die because they are sinners. And uh, this is more, well, otherwise babies would never die. They don't get a chance to sin. They die because of sin, because we are all born sinners. 
We don't have to wait to commit the act of sin to be classified in heaven as a sinner. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is our identity before the throne of God. But we can be sinners saved by grace, which is where this is going because we're sin abounded. Grace did a whole lot more according to God. So, knowing that we're not created with a sinful nature, we are now born with one on behalf of mankind. That is the fact. It is our nature to sin. And you put us under pressure or the right temptation and it comes out. And thus, he says here in verse 12, death spread to all men because all sinned. Our sinful nature is hereditary. There's no way to opt out. This is confirmed by honest observation, verses, indoctrinated spins, which hate honesty because honesty goes against indoctrination of those who are dishonest about God and themselves. We live in a time where we have people trying to tell you insanity is sane and what is sane is insane. Sin is technically creation's only problem. For it is the source of all the problems. Take sin away, take it out of the picture. We won't have the problems we have, and that is what heaven is. Now, some sins are comparatively minor, but no sin is meaningless to God because any kind of sin will separate the sinner from God, and it will do it forever without a Savior. For verse 13, he continues, and now this is a parenthesis, and it lasts through verse 17, which is Paul's way, you know, he just pours out what he's saying and he goes down these helpful rabbit trails. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Well, I'm not a fan of the word imputed. I wish the translator would use the word charged, but that's how it is and I'm not going to change it. Sin is not charged when there is no law. That's my language. Uh, he, what he's, where he's going with this he's, is the dissimilarity between Jesus and Adam. And Adam is the representative of mankind. And mankind is, is, a, is sinful by nature, inherited sin. Again, whether you get the chance to commit it or not, and Scripture puts the full blame for human sin on the shoulders of the first human, Adam. All the unborn people were in Adam, for without him, there would be no one else. No one else would have been born, but he's the first one. And we have to remember, if you were put in Adam's place, in Adam's Garden of Eden, you would have done the same thing. It would be a mark of self-righteousness and ignorance at the same time that would stand up and say, I never would have gone to that tree. You would have done something else. Anyway... All the born-again people are in Christ. All the people who are born in sin are in Adam. All the people who are born again are in Christ. And without Christ, no one would be saved. Without Adam, no one would be born. This is the system that belongs to creation. Adam's descendants do not bear the image and likeness of God anymore. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. But that's been ruined. Now man is born in sin and subjected to separation from God. 
in the image and likeness of fallen Adam. Do you believe that? Do you believe that people are born in the image of Adam? Well, the Bible says that, Genesis 5, verse 3. Adam begot a son in his own likeness after his image. It's almost as God says, you know, I'm going to get back to that. After chapter 3 in Genesis, I'm going to get back to this. And then by the time chapter 5, he makes sure that gets in there. That Adam had a child in Adam's likeness, in Adam's image. Because when you look at someone, you are not looking at entirely what God created us to be. Of course, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, through salvation, it is Christ's likeness that we return to. The the pursuit of it, the quest to be like Christ, to be like God, without ever becoming divine. Adam is what man turned himself into. As with the so-called transgenders. I hope none of you are afraid of that. I hope you understand you're at war. That war was declared in Eden. Where his seed will be against yours. And God made it clear. It's on. The fight for souls. Christ is God returning man into the image of God. Now back to this. Man turning himself into something other than what God meant them to be. As for these so-called transgenders, we're not to hate them. That might enrage them all by itself. We're never to hate them. Nor to give up on them. If you have any of them in your life, don't give up. You fight that fight on your knees. Nor are we to enable them, or advocate, or support, or send mixed signals, or wrong signals. We would be very clear about what sin is, concerning this especially, because it's right there on the surface. This is not one of those, you know, well, it's a gray zone. For what's a gray zone? Well, you know, can, can people kill in wartime? You know, that, that, that I believe they can. Uh, if the cause merits, but someone else might be a little, you know, foggy on that. Well, love is not only brave, Christian love, it is smart. And I think a lot of Christians uh, understand love is brave, agape love is brave. Without it, Christ would not have gone to the cross. But do, do we forget that it's also smart? That dumb love does not honor Christ. In fact, it lets heresy in the church. Well, we got to love them. Well, we do love them, but maybe not what they're about. Philippians chapter 1. And this I pray that you may love... Well, let me reread that. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. He didn't want them dumb. He didn't, you know, you just don't have the right to, well, I just feel it. It has to grow more and more in the knowledge and discernment. It has to be able to x-ray into the spiritual world. If I'm going to sing songs, I'm going to sing in the spirit and I'm going to sing with understanding. 
Ignorance does not bring honor to God. What do we say? Grow. What does the scripture say? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. The grace is the outcome of that smart love. It keeps knowledge in check because Paul said, spirit speaking through him, knowledge puffs up. Love makes better. But that love is not without knowledge. The story of Adam and Eve is no myth. Being Human history, it should be taught worldwide as human history. From the first that a child can understand human history, it should be taught. Now, Christian parents do this. Teach their children from the very beginning the things of the Bible. But heathens forbid this kind of history. To Adam was given one simple condition of obedience. Not a day but a tree. These are the lessons that we have to share. Genesis 2.17, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Genesis 3.4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You're not going to die. That's when she should have whipped out the kung fu. Right there. (laughs) Nothing in the commandments said she couldn't karate chop the dude. Wouldn't that have been nice if Steve just said, I'll be right back. And comes back with Adam, and both of them have a stick. (laughs) Adam and Eve spiritually died instantly when they took of that tree. But physically, they died many years later. And so God told them, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It's all changed now, Adam. This is now your world. And Satan is the God of it. Now, of course, that does not subject our God to Satan. It just means that the evil has gained the upper hand in creation for as long as it it will take till Christ comes back. Adam was a victim by his own choice and his own action. Sobering, sobering lessons from Scripture And the man whom God had formed opened himself to now be formed by Satan. And we see it all the time. We see those again, back to those who are saying, you know, insanity is sane. This is normal. I'm talking about these blatant sins of this generation. We know that they're being shaped and formed by Satan. And to this condition of man, the message of salvation addresses itself. The question is, are we passionate about the message? Are you passionate about the the gospel of Jesus Christ reaching lost souls? Are you passionate about saying, look, I don't want to get my theology wrong. I want to understand scripture. A lot of Christians, I fear, they don't want a Bible teaching church. They want to stay dumb because they might have to do something. They might have to change something in their life if you start preaching the word to them. Because what does the Bible say about the scripture? It, is, it washes and it cleanses. The preaching of the word, it washes and it cleanses. It deals with things that need to be dealt with. But the nature of the sinner without the Holy Spirit does not want this. He says here in verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world. Well, there was a work written in the hearts of men. He talked about that in chapter 2, verse 15, where he was saying, look, before the Mosaic law, there's still right and wrong. 
Romans 2.15, he says, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, those without the law of Moses, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Sin according to the likeness of Adam. We get that in verse 14. Before the law of Moses. Well, was there sin before Moses' law? Of course, Cain, the antediluvians, those who perished in the flood of Noah's day. There's Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah. These testify to sin, to known sin, and to the consequence of sin, God's wrath against it. And it existed apart from Judaism, apart from what we call the Old Testament. Cain knew not to murder Abel, and, it come, and so did those around him. Paul, Lot knew Sodom was wrong. Peter talks about that in 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8. But back to, to uh, Cain, he said, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. He was saying, society's going to get me because I did wrong, and they know it. And that was his fear. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Genesis 4.15, and Yahweh set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. A stay of execution. No formal Mosaic law, but there were laws. The law of Hammurabi. There were other societies, had rules, had laws. Else society would have perished. It would have become chaotic. There's a such thing as common grace. That is the goodness of God upon even lost people. Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. Otherwise, nobody would survive. But man has the ability to wipe himself out. And that's why there are these laws in the conscience of men put there by God. Jesus said this concerning the last days to show you that we, mankind in Adam's world, could wipe ourselves out if it weren't for God. And the only thing restraining this is the Holy Spirit, as Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2. Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Yeah, because they'd wipe out the Jews. And then themselves. So man, in this fallen world, he knows what sin is. Will he conform to the one who defines what sin is? Well, that's the separation between the sheep and the goat. Those who want to reinvent humanity and morals. In the day age we, age we live in, they're not coming under the law of Christ. They want to make a law unto themselves, and it won't work. But sin, he says here in verse 13 at the bottom of the verse, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So if there's no law, there's no charge. He's reasoning with the people. But people still died because of original sin. So the evidences of sin were still there. As I mentioned, you know, the infants that perish before they're out of infancy, before they've sinned, are testimony to original sin. That it, we are born in iniquity. Adam broke the law. 
Don't eat from the tree, Adam. He did. And he knew what he was doing. And Paul points that out. Eve was deceived. Adam willfully went into this. There's a saying, you know, a happy wife, a happy life. Well, it didn't work for Adam. Be careful about that. Well, um, in the same way that Abraham demonstrated faith apart from the written scripture that we have, Adam demonstrated the existence of sin apart from the written scripture that we had. This takes away a lot of excuses that people like to offer to God. God is going to say to people, many people at that great white, throne, great white throne, you knew it was wrong and you continued in it because you didn't want to come to me. The law did not introduce sin into the world. It identified the sin as a charge against the guilty. Adam introduced the sin. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Well, I I do strongly believe that when Paul is uh, dealing with these issues in Romans, it's because he was dealing with them with people. If Romans is complicated to you, it's because people are complicated. Sin is in everyone, whether there is a Bible or not, bottom line. That's what he's getting at. Death proves it. But there's more to the story than just death. There's the life that continues on from Adam to Moses. Well, Jesus defeated the supremacy of death, but death is still here. And if you want more on that, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 15, Jesus' triumphs over death. Even, he says here in verse 14, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. And there are the infants right there. They didn't get a chance to sin like Adam, to disobey God. They didn't get a chance to even learn a language, to hear what God had to say. But it is inherent sin. And if they were given time, and I know I've said this quite a bit recently, is going through Romans, every single infant with the exception of Jesus Christ, if allowed to live, will not possibly sin, but guaranteed to sin. So it's got to be dealt with in their essence, who they are, because they go somewhere when they do not survive this life. Everybody conceived goes somewhere. And there are rules, and there is grace. And we are very glad about that. Who is a type of him who was to come. And he's speaking about Adam being a type of Jesus. How is Adam a type of Jesus? He's called the last, Christ is called the last Adam later in 1 Corinthians 16. Well, the only two men without a human father. Adam and Christ. The only two to have experienced A sinless nature, though Adam, of course, forfeited his. Again, uh, Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus Christ was not to say, boy, that was a close call. It was to show you it was impossible for him to sin because he has no sinful nature. He's not like anybody else. He is the one that has come down from heaven. And if he be exalted, if he be lifted up, he will draw all men. 
And Satan walked away from that exchange knowing this was not like anybody else he had ever engaged in creation, in this world. Adam, the first fallen man, Christ, the first resurrected. So, there are the similarities. There is Jesus, a type of Adam, yet dissimilar to Adam, because he is holy. Now, when we were singing hallelujah to the Lord, well, hallelujah means praise Yahweh. That in the beginning, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Well, Yahweh in the Old Testament is Christ in the New Testament. It's the same person. And we, um, we understand that when he was resurrected, he was 100% man in the flesh, 100% God in his uh, being. He was divine, and uh, he is the first fruits in that sense. The one to die, the one to be resurrected, to teach us that this can happen to us too if we abide in Christ. He is absolutely God. But he took on humanity, but he never gave up his divinity. He was always God, as sort of um, a best way, anthropomorphically we can say it, he tied one hand behind his back. Now that falls short of the meaning, but it works for me. And if it, I hope it works for you. If not, come up with a better one. But don't tell me, I'll be jealous. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God, the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Well, Adam got us into sin, as we've been saying. Jesus gets us out of its ultimate consequence. It's serious business about, you know, Jesus saving and being, saving sinners and those that are unsaved. Now, go back up to those who are trying to recreate themselves in the likeness of sinful man, the transgender world. Someone told me um, about a well-known Bible teacher telling another Christian that it's okay to take a gift and go to their wedding. I think that was a huge mistake. I hope he takes it back. Uh, that's enabling that world. That is dismissing all of that Christ stands for. Uh, to send the wrong signal. To advocate sin. Uh, this is why we're here. It is the meaning of you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, we read about uh, the, the heroes of the Old Testament standing their ground in the bean field until the word, the sword was attached to their hand. They couldn't un let it go. And we read that and say, that's the picture of the Christian standing when all the forces are coming against the Christian, but they're clinging to God's word and they're not giving an inch. Uh, well, that's hard to do. It's impossible to do. Without the Spirit of God. But we have the Spirit of God. He wants to see us embrace these things. And not cave in. And when we cave and we appease sin, it only makes sin stronger. It doesn't help anybody. Well, back to verse 15. Uh, God using sin, of course, to determine 
who will make their way to him, side with him, and stay with him in the face of the alternative. The forbidden tree in Eden or the bloodstained tree at Calvary. Your choice, your call. For if by one man, verse 15, if by one man's offense many died, a single act of sin ruined mankind, much more the grace of God by the gift. Let me reread that. You know, if, if I didn't have to read the verses, I could just get to my point. <laughs> That's something to watch out for. Scripture's first, your point is second. Uh, much more the grace of God by the gift, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So by Adam, death abounded to all. By Christ, grace abounds to many. Why not to all? Because all won't receive it. Very simple. And I love that part much more. That's eternal life. We believe this by faith. We suffer the things of this life knowing that we're going to Christ. Verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And so there is the alternative to Adam's world, um, Adam's cursed world, Christ. He chose to be sacrificed in order to cancel the curse on those who'd come to him. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So the scripture, you know, the scripture never lets us feel comfortable with sin. And it always reminds us that the blessings are for those who come to God. And for those who don't, it doesn't apply. But rather the condemnation. Now, we don't take delight. This is the message. We deliver the message. You picture yourself a messenger in the ancient world of a king. You deliver the message. You don't open it up and say, well, you know, I don't really like this part. Well, here's my favorite part. <laughs> you just deliver the message. Death could not be stopped in Adam. It rained. But eternal life can't be stopped in Christ. I, I, I want that side. Verse 18, therefore, as... Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. He has got to be signaling to the Jews here that, hey, the Gentiles are coming under this too. Paul repeats, he repeats this in verse 18, back from verses 12 and, and 15. And so verses 18 and 19, he goes back into it, in case you missed it. Well, when you're just reading the Romans, it can be a little confusing. It's like, did I just read this? You can, you, you can, but he's making a point. He's emphasizing his points. So I'm going to use Scripture to teach Scripture. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's given to you. You can turn it down. But who would? 
God's solution is bigger than our problem. Very basic Christianity. Again, in Ephesians, now not verse 5 this time, but verse 8, he repeats it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I can't imagine the New Testament without these things, because there would be no New Testament without these things. That's why it's called the New Covenant. And God does all the heavy lifting. We do the shuffling. We just shuffle over to it and receive it. And then we're put to work. Now, it's been said, and I think this is true, that the only part of evolution of the species that's true. Chimps can talk, but they're afraid if they talk, they'll be put to work. I don't believe any part of evolution of a species. I categorically reject, reject its application. All lies have elements of truth in it, and you've got to see through it. Anyway, uh, you know, so what I'm saying is when you come to Christ, maybe you're afraid that you're going to be put to work. You should embrace that. You do it. It's okay to do something you don't like, especially if it's what it takes you will find it, be, it will be rewarding. Uh, and, and, and you're still allowed to do things you can like. You know, it's okay to enjoy certain things in life. God's not going to come snatch it out of your hand and say, stop that. You're supposed to suffer. Well, uh, again, verse 19 now. For as, by, uh, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Does it sound like to you he's making the same point over and over? Because he is. That's why. And why is he? Because that's what's needed. Because as simple as the gospel is, sometimes we find that we get a little foggy on some of the good details that we want to tell a certain person. And we look, where's that in the Bible again? I forgot where that is. And we start searching for it. Because the Spirit, well, the Scripture is not natural. It is supernatural. And it, 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 it requires work in the flesh, not the carnal flesh, but flesh and bone. And it requires the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus breathed on the apostles and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, it's not, you know, because not just for singing songs. Well, I just have the Spirit when I sing songs. Well, you'll be cheating yourself and others. So, verse 19 For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Well, how can the sacrifice of one avail all. It's the worth of the sacrifice, the value of the sacrifice. What is that sacrifice worth? Well, the one making the sacrifice is the Son of God. There's no greater value you can put on anything. This is outside of creation. He is self-existent. He has existed all the way back to eternity past, and he'll have no end. Thus the Alpha and the Omega. When Christ sacrificed himself as the Lamb of God, it was not an ordinary man dying there as a sacrifice. He is the last Adam. He is the one that is without a sinful nature. Now, the old church father, as he is known in history, Chrysostom, let's say that five times fast. 
He said this. He said, if a Jew should ask you, how is it possible that through the power of the one Christ, the world is saved, then ask him, how is it possible that through the one disobedient, Adam, the whole world was damned? It's just logic. It's just a very simple thing. One man got us into this, and a greater man will get us out, and has gotten out. And the thing about verse 19 that uh, is also very special. He says, many made sinners. So let me go back to that. For as many, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Why not all? Because Adam was not made a sinner. And Christ did not ever come, was not a sinner, never sinned, was not um, incarnated as a sinner. And so these subtle things, if they weren't there, you know, there would be theological gaps. You'd have to say, wait a minute now, something's missing here. But they are there, and it's not missing. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. There is not a more beautiful verse in all Scripture. Not that it's a competition, but this one just shines out. Where sin abounded, grace did much more. Verse 21, and I'll comment on the whole, the two verses together. So that, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now he's going to get back, he's going to develop this through chapters, through chapter 8. And then he's going to turn his attention back to the people of Israel. Now back to verse 20. Some Jews thought that their law protected them from guilt. Paul already dealt with that earlier, but... That's just the reality of the day he lived in. As, as there are people today that think that their religion protects them from, from hell. They don't have to love God. They don't have to know his word. They're just, you know, they, they made an offering at the church or filled out a card or whatever they did. Maybe they say, well, I got baptized or I was christened. And it's all useless without a relationship with Christ. In reality, their law exposed their guilt and only covered it, but it didn't take it away. It was still there. Thus, their atoning sacrifices are called kofars, coverings. And thus, John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God. Unlike all the other lambs that are offered at the temple, this lamb does not cover your sins. He takes them away. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when the law was finally given, it was to... Preserve a people for Messiah, the Savior of the world, to come through. And this is significant that we understand he's moved in, in a way from Messiah to Christ. He is not only the Jewish hero, he is the hero of the world. The Gentiles are loved just as much. Gentiles are not B-class citizens of heaven. Now, when you get to heaven, it won't be like the Jews over here and the Gentiles are across the tracks <laughs> to the other neighborhood. These, this, so the, the law was given, and it encased the prophecies. It organized into a coherent context the plan of salvation, and it put time stamps and prophecy stamps in it for reference points so that we can look at Israel today and say, you see, God said that was going to happen. And it happened, and it's pointing to the end. And we can look at a cashless society. 
We can look at the technology. We can look at artificial life, the AI. We can say all these things are found in the book of Revelation. These are part of the processes of the last days. And God has put it in print all the way back in the Old Testament, in through the New Testament, for us to use today. It is for all humanity. So, it takes more than an education to be Christ-like. It takes faith. It takes action. And to sin with a high hand, a defiant and haughty look, a defiant heart, it forfeits grace. Isaiah made this very clear. He said, let grace be shown to the wicked. Well, what makes them wicked? They walk opposite of God. I mean, they have no intention of walking with him. They're not in agreement with him. The two cannot walk together. Let the grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of Yahweh, of the Lord. So it takes more than an education. It takes Christ-likeness. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes faith. There are many parts to our salvation. And they are in rhythm. And when you are around a Christian that is born again, you can hear the hum of that rhythm. But where sin abounded, well, sin is aggressive. It is a hunter. Now, I'm hoping to do a sermon on this one day. You can be the hunted or you can be the hunter. As a Christian, which are you? I can't say any more, because then I won't have a sermon. You'll say, oh, we heard that. What else you got? But without Christ, without Christ, sin will always abound. It will always win. Even with Christ, it gets the upper hand many times. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's like a wrestling match. You know, you can be losing for a long part of that match, and in the end, you pin the other guy. And that's how it's going to be for the Christian. And that's why he says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. It does not say that he was manifested to stop us from sinning in this life. But to take our sin away. That means the penalty of that sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take our sins away. And in him there is no sin. That's never said about anybody else. That there is no sin in them that they can take away our sins. Only Christ. All right, let's move on. We're almost done. I was trying to get it under 45 minutes, but you messed it up by listening. (laughs) Just don't blame yourself. Whatever you do, don't admit you did it. (laughs) No, that's the world. That's how Satan works anyway. Inability to overcome personal sin does not defeat the grace of God. Your, abil- your inability to be perfect as Christ does not mean the salvation is not working. And so he says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. How can you not love that much more? It is emphatic. Psalm 105 captures some of this. The psalmist writes, he, God, increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. That's what salvation is. We have three enemies as Christians. The, the obvious of two, or, well, the obvious one is Satan. The other is the world and its system. And then there, the other is our flesh, our sinful nature. Yet he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. Where sin gains victories, 
God's grace gains greater victories. Even so, grace might reign. Well, God's grace has dethroned sin's ultimate effect, which is eternal separation from God, we know as hell. But death no longer reigns. Verse 20 now, still in verse 20, through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that is, of course, uh, the sinless proof of Jesus, his righteousness. The gift of eternal life comes through him. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 21. So the cross of Christ is the storm that wrecks mankind's hope for self-salvation. You can't do it. It's not possible. And I think it's okay that when someone says, well, you know, I'm a good person and God understands, it's okay to laugh in their faith. Because it's an evil joke being played on them. But it wouldn't, but you have the antidote. The truth. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, um, there's nothing to add. The, the, the gift of salvation is clearly laid out for us in various ways throughout your scripture, and we love you for it. And we pray, we who believe, we pray that we would exercise our faith, be filled with the Spirit, be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would not hate the enemies, though we often despise what they do, that we would not stop praying for them, we would not give up, and that we would not back up away from what your word has taught us so clearly. But may we embrace it. If you've been listening and you've not opened your heart to Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, the wrath of God is upon you. When you die, the judgment will fall and it will be too late. But it's not too late right now. I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm telling you the truth. And if truth doesn't move you, I have got nothing else. Christ wants you in heaven. He came into the world to save sinners, which you are. If you make this prayer in earnest, he'll receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. That makes me a sinner. I am unfit for heaven. But I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to receive me. I ask you to save me from the judgment to come and to rule over my life as my Lord and Savior from this day forward. I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they pursue just that, a life given to you, and may they make their confession known at the end of the service when the invitation is given. May they come up for prayer. May they call in for prayer as the case may be. These things we commit into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.